Welcome to the second episode of Season 3 of Delving Into Dance. In this season, we're casting a light on the diverse experiences of dancers. This episode features an interview with Melanie Lane. Based in Berlin and Melbourne, Melanie is both a performer and a choreographer, often performing in her own work. This poses the question of how does one choreograph while simultaneously dancing? Melanie has worked for a range of companies in the last few years, including Chunky Move as part of the Next Move program, Lucy Guerin Inc., and has just been announced as part of the Sydney Dance Company's New Breed program. I spoke to Melanie after a rehearsal for her upcoming work, Night Dance. The first question I asked was, where did she catch the dance bug? Oh, the dance bug. Well, I guess it's like a a pretty... uh common story <laughs> with the old starting starting ballet at quite a young age and then just going through wanting to be a ballet dancer didn't have the body for it went to university found contemporary dance loved it but also choreography went to WAPA so choreography was one of those electives that I really enjoyed and then and then yeah I just stuck with it I guess um but after after WAPA uh like it still is, I guess. There just wasn't any work when I graduated, so I pretty much directly headed off to Europe and was there from 2000 until 2014 and spent basically that whole period working in Germany mainly. Yeah. So is it German good? It is, yeah. I speak German. would be embarrassing if I didn't. <laughs> You can get by though. Yeah. Probably not in a dance company. But. No, it took me ages to learn German because I never thought I would stay there. I thought I'd only be there for you know a couple of years or something. So I kind of never really invested myself in the language. But I think after about five years, <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe it's time to start. And and it came pretty quickly actually. I think it was that kind of subconscious information going through, and then just picked it up pretty fast. That moment when you found out that your body wasn't suitable for ballet. Yeah. Was that shattering? Well, I don't think it was just one moment. I think it was something that I knew pretty much, you know, I knew it, I think, probably since a very young age. But I kind of, you know, just told myself, no, but it's, it's, it's still possible. So it wasn't, it wasn't shattering. I think it was just... Um, something that I needed to confront at some point and just see the reality, the realistic kind of um, future for how my body fits in, in, you know, certain dance worlds. So, yeah, I don't think it was shattering. It was just, yeah, a series of realisations. Yeah. Because that work you did last year with Chunky Move... Yeah. Um, ..was kind of looking at, well from my perspective, was yeah. looking at that classically trained body. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, and kind of messing that up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was... Well, I was really interested... That work was part of a series that I was interested in, working with people that have a very strong physical discipline, like training discipline. And because, you know, the history of ballet, obviously a ballet dance was something that I was really attracted to working with. So... Yeah, it was a combination of looking at my own history with it and then kind of looking at Juliet's own history with her whole journey through that ballet world. So, yeah, it was an interesting way. In, in some ways it was for me to, to, to create a solo for Juliet for two people. Mm. So there was always, like, some, some, someone to bounce off of in a way. 
Yeah, so that was part of a series that was working. I, I did a work also at the end of last year that was for two female bodybuilders. Um, who I was really interested in because they also have this like a, amazing physical discipline and intense training for their bodies and was looking at how they, what their journey is through that as well. So, yeah, did also some, another work with um, boxing and now with night dance, looking at people that train, I guess, or have a physical experience in another way. Yeah. as well. So they're all somehow connected. There's like a little bit of a red thread. Through. Yeah, because that discipline is, particularly mm. in, in any of those really physically demanding mm. fields, that discipline that is required yeah. to bring the body into line yeah, and to absolutely. do what you need it to do when you need to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is incredible. Yeah, it's, and so only, it's not only physical, it's also this mental um, discipline as well which is like yeah it, it takes you to so many places like with the bodybuilders I when we had the development I did the whole diet and I did the whole training with them so I could also understand what that felt like mentally to experience and it was really amazing actually I never had that kind of sensitivity to food <laughs> before so yeah it was it was super interesting and also how it affects your body dramatically that interesting yeah. thing about ballet though is that some bodies just can't do that. That's right, yeah. Whereas bodybuilding is something that, you know, you most people most could build people up probably, to yeah. um, to yeah. some level of yeah. participation, whereas yeah. ballet is, comes down to your genetics. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Which yeah. is make or break. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I, was lucky. I was talking to a teenage girl the other day, she was about 14, and was... Or who's always wanted to be that ballet dancer. Right. And had just come to that realisation. That and it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she had a bit of a dance mum as well. And oh, okay. Yeah, it that's tough. It was just, um, yeah, it was really shattering for her. Yeah. But it was, it was kind of like there's a whole world out there in terms of performance and in terms of dancing. Absolutely, yeah. And it takes time to discover, especially at that age. Yeah. To be able to discover all the other possibilities. Well, for her, the, it, it was music um, videos. Or oh, ballet, okay. and contemporary dance was kind of something on the in the unknown horizon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the never never. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to somebody today actually, and we we're talking about dance, and they said, "Why is dance important, mm. and why should it be funded?" Right. They were trying to push my buttons. Okay. But what would you say to somebody that? Well, I mean, you could ask that question about many forms of art but I think you know dance has that very exclusive I guess um, possibility to express something physically and something that I guess other forms aren't able to express and I think for me it has a lot to do with not only execution of you know amazing choreography or steps but also watching a watching a body go through some kind of negotiation or experience or sensation that as an audience you can share which I think you know that's that's a that's a rare thing to find in in performance or not necessarily performance actually in 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 life in general mm. you know so yeah I think it's a really beautiful and important language to to keep on developing and exposing and sharing, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. one when funding and money is scarce. Mm. 
actually then how to have a conversation with somebody to justify yeah. a practice that often happens behind closed doors or in the dark and all the rehearsal yeah. time and all those things that people don't see. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's like, um, I think we actually do see it a lot, but we just don't identify it. For example, one of, that's, that's a big reason why I'm interested in making this work night dance, because it's something that actually most of us have experienced and happens every night, probably, or almost every night, mm. but we just don't identify it as, okay, that's a, that's, a that's a a form of dance, you know? But it's happening around us all the time and we see it all the time, but so, so that's why I was interested to bring that into the performance space and kind of acknowledge that it's something that we all share and it's something that, you know, that, that can be celebrated or or considered or looked at or questioned or interrogated. So in some ways it is a very visible art form, I think. It's just about kind of identifying it. Or What's your process from idea, so with Night Dance, for example, from idea yeah. through to development, through to, you know, performance? Yeah. Well, with every project it's different, I guess. It depends on the subject. But mm. I always try to initially understand the experience of the subject so, for example, with Remake, with um, the work I made with the ballet dancer, um, there was a lot of exchange in terms of her, her teaching me material, like literally giving me ballet <laughs> <laughs> repertoire and lessons and also kind of just a lot of conversation about her experience, not only in the studio but also through life, how she negotiates that. Same with the bodybuilders, like I explained earlier about kind of, you know, really understanding their diet and their training and... The same with night dance. Now we, the, you know, our first part of the development was doing a whole series of workshops with people that work in the industry. So really trying to kind of immerse myself in those worlds, I guess it's the starting point, so the departure point. And then from there, we start to look at that material more in detail and, and transform it into a language using different tools, I guess, that I work with, choreographic tools that I work with to be able to negotiate those those languages and then I guess it kind of goes off in different directions whether it's about what the design is in space I, I love to work with materiality so I often try to look for some kind of texture or object or something that will amplify those images that we're working with and then from there it kind of starts to take shape in terms of like a dramaturgical narrative I guess in a way yeah, and every project is different, so it kind of develops in that way. Mm. <laughs> yeah. A lot of improvisation, a lot of yeah, input from the performers that I'm working with. Yeah. Is this a piece that you are performing? Yeah. Yeah, this one I'm performing in, yeah. There's never enough money for me to be on the outside. <laughs> yeah. How does that shift when you are choreographing and performing and when you're in a work where you are performing as opposed, like, mm. um, that piece you did with, with Lucy oh. at the start of the year. I've just split. split. Split, that's yeah. right. Yeah. You mean when I'm not choreographing? Yeah. Oh, I love being a performer and not being the choreographer. <laughs> it's such a different, well, it's such a different role, of course, but you can really kind of almost indulge in the luxury of being able to just um, kind of 
not have to be the, the director, but interpret or play with whatever the choreographer or the director's ideas and questions are. But when you're, you know, when you're doing both roles, it's of course like this constant stream of like <laughs> too much information and trying to sort it out in your head, watching lots of videos, which I just, yeah, I wish I didn't have to do, but I do sometimes rely on that form of documentation to be able to somehow see it from the outside. But um, yeah, so it can be really difficult being on the inside, I think. But at the, si- at the same time, what's great about being on the inside and the outside is that you can experience it and understand it from the inside as well to be able to direct it from the outside. So, you know, there's pros and cons to both, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You've recently been announced as one of the new breed choreographers. Yeah. How important are those opportunities? Oh, I think they're, yeah, they're amazing opportunities. I mean, they're very rare, of course, as well, but also, um, I mean, in this case, what I'm really excited about is um, working with a larger group of performers. So I work with 13 of the dancers, which I very rarely get to do because as an independent choreographer, you never have enough money to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's a huge luxury, of course, and also to work with such... um, technical dancers as well is really interesting because, you know, they have such a, I guess, different history in their bodies to what to what I know or a lot of the people that I work with, which are also, you know, also, they're also technical but in different ways, but these are very specific, specific technical bodies, so I'm really excited to work with, with that and, and, of course, all of their histories as well. So, yeah, I think they're... They are really important. The only, yeah, the only challenge, I guess, is with those kind of commissions, it's often quite a short time of creation to create the work. So there's always that pressure of having the opportunity but trying to find a... trying to work with efficiency as another kind of element of the process, which I guess in independent work you usually have a bit more time to kind of really research and develop and... You know, always some often usually goes over a period of a couple of years where you apply for funding for the second development and then the third goes into presentation. So it's like a really different kind of way to research your work, I guess. Mm. So I'm yeah, scared. <laughs> I'm terrified but excited at the same time. What yeah. are you going to do? What am I going to do? Well, it's not until December, so... <laughs> I have a few ideas and I did have a week last week in Sydney actually with the pre-professional year students to try out a few ideas. But I guess the, 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 the main things that came to me initially was working with a larger group, I guess ideas around collectivity and how that exists in certain group actions in I guess society. So I was looking at things. I was really interested in military training <laughs> and um, but also kind of I guess in contrast to that also group actions like the corps de ballet in more traditional kind of dance context. There's also really interesting things that are happening in Asia. They have this sport called precision walking which is this, I don't know if you've seen that, this amazing kind of group action of Precision walking basically is exactly what it is, um, which is really interesting. And, and also, I guess, collective group actions that happen at night as well. There's the club, the club environment, which is quite this primitive ritualistic group action. So I'm looking at all those kind of group activities and how to kind of in- inject them with 
or cross them over, I guess, all these different languages and see how we can kind of create a, a new one mm. in a way. Let's see. Let's see what happens. How cool, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. Well, yeah. We'll wait until December. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I'm interested in your um, process for making work for different audiences. Yeah. Do you find Australian audiences different to European audiences? Um, or do you create the same work and just put it out there for them to... I would say so, yeah. I don't. I feel like the audiences, I mean, you know, in Europe, it's, it's very European, the culture, Australian culture and European culture if you, is not that different, you know. It's not like making a work in Asia or, in, or something like that, but not that that's that much different either these days anyway. But no, I don't think I do consider that differently, really. Yeah. I like to think that the work should kind of connect to a broad, uh, the broadest audience possible, I guess. And I like to kind of look at subjects that people can connect with quite broadly, that everyone has some kind of a relationship or experience or idea or fantasy about mm. the subject. Yeah. Do they receive it differently, though? Um, or not really? I don't know. I mean, I haven't done that many works in both places. I remember one of the first works I ever showed in Australia just got throttled, like the reviewers hated it. It was a disaster. You know, they just thought it was like the worst. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, in some ways, but that was a long, that was, you know, maybe seven or eight years ago. It seemed to be embraced by the community, but not by the media, let's say. So, yeah, that's probably one experience where I felt a really strong difference in response. Mm. Definitely, yeah. It was a solo work where I, it was kind of a solo work and sound installation at the same time and the content was probably quite slow, quite challenging for an audience to watch maybe. So yeah, the, some of the audiences or some of the reviewers found that not good for them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you take so reviews to heart? Um, not, not anymore, yeah, I have to say, probably back then, yeah, it was a bit of a shock for me, but I think it really thickened my skin a lot. I actually really enjoy to, to read reviews now, even when they're really harsh or critical, because, you, you know, you learn from it as well, because you can't expect everybody to see your work in the way that you do, and mm. it's just, that's how it is. So it, it does inform, I think. Somebody told me recently there's no point, of, um, no point in reading a review from Australia. Oh, really? Because they just don't get down. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that. It's just, you know, it's just, in, in the end, it comes down to taste, personal taste. It's subjective, and that's just, that's just what reviewing is. And may, well, maybe it should kind of look at trying to <laughs> shift a little bit and change maybe the way to review. But yeah, that's a whole other subject. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> of a dying. Yeah. Dying form in some respects. I mean, it's not a funded yes. form anymore. That's right, in yeah. I, mean, I think that's probably a lot of the problem as well. So when they are engaging with the work, it's a 200-word yeah. piece yeah. to get it out to yeah. print. And it's yeah, that's, probably that's where it stems from, I yeah. think. Yeah, for sure. I'm interested in the sense of working as an independent artist. Yeah. And obviously you're quite successful at that. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Try to be. <laughs> well, I... Was looking at your schedule, yeah, and I think I have a lot okay. of projects on. <laughs> and looking at yours, it's pretty big. Yeah, no, like, there's a lot of dates on that. Yeah, no, it's good. Well, yeah, um, 
What's the question? <laughs> <laughs> do you get tired? No. I do. I do get tired. Yeah. What advice would you have to young dancers or like performance makers starting out? Um, well, you know, as an independent um, artist, I guess one of the one of the main one of the the biggest work is is applying, 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 applying all the time, all the time. You know, you're not going to get it. And I, I remember doing a lot. Well, and I still do. I still write a lot of applications and a lot of for all sorts of things. And you know, majority of them are a no because there's so many amazing artists. So you know, you can't expect it. Anyway, well, so I think getting good at that or getting kind of used to it or enjoying that <laughs> is important because once once you see it as a burden or you find it difficult, then that makes it really hard to be independent because it's such a big part of the job is to be is to kind of keep working at finding opportunities, finding ways to keep your practice sustainable and you know because if you don't keep on practicing then you kind of lose you lose your way, you know. So I guess that's the the biggest challenge in a way to Do you enjoy it now? I do, yeah, no, I love it. I mean I wouldn't do anything else, I think. And and I think I've done I've done a lot of things that I haven't enjoyed <laughs> to get to a place where I start to feel more happy in what I'm doing. Because as a freelancer, you always do so many projects to survive as well, which are probably, you know, I've done quite a few projects, I guess, more so in Europe that I haven't loved, but also others that I've just really loved. So, you know, I think it's also being prepared to learn from different experiences and find out what you really want to do. And you start to get to know what things you should say no to and what things you should say yes to. And sometimes you don't have a choice because you've got no money, so you have to say yes to everything. So, you know, it's complicated and, and fun and um, exhausting and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you said you apply a lot to a lot of things. How, I like, try to. How much time do you devote to just applications and all the... Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's so much work. Um, Any time that I have free... You know, I try to I try to apply myself to to writing something, yeah, because I just because otherwise you just you know you're not going to have the time or you're exhausted after rehearsal and you have to go home you have to start writing something you know so anytime I have a free blog I know okay if there's anything that I can apply for I'll sit down and I'll I'll try to do it that doesn't always happen but that's kind of my my goal usually it's not always successful. Yeah, because it takes so long and people, I don't think, realise that, yeah. you know, how many applications you apply for to get actually one. That's right. And all those hours that you've spent on the other ones that is unpaid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of, it's a lot of labour. And also it's difficult always to kind of conceptualise new ideas, you know. You can't always have, an, like, a new amazing idea. So it's about kind of really wanting to do something passionately enough to write about it. Just getting that far is sometimes a lot of work just in the in the head, you know, and researching and reading about, you know, finding more out about the subject that you're interested in to be able to write it in the first place is already, you know, work. Yeah. So it's not just sitting down and just typing straight away. It's about looking and reading and, yeah, all of that. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, You've done a PhD, of course. Um, yeah, horrendous. Um, let's talk more about night dance. Yeah. 
and what this work's about. So it's about those nighttime spaces and the body, I guess, in those spaces. Yeah. Can we talk more about it? Yeah. So I guess I became interested in it having spent a lot of my time in those spaces <laughs> and realising that it's such a physical space and it's something that's shared with so many different kinds of bodies and there's so many different performative actions that takes that take place in those spaces. So it started from that interest and um, I guess there's something also not only about those spaces but also the shift of going from daytime simply to nighttime. There's like this whole kind of strange and really hard to articulate exactly what it is, but there's like a shift that happens, I think, physically, that is really interesting and it has a lot to do with just basically that the light is gone. <laughs> and it kind of invites this, so many kind of different possibilities of entering the unknown. And yeah, I read a lot about kind of those club spaces as well, that they're these public spaces where people can enter temporary identities. So there's all this possibility to, to kind of be someone else or, or a part, another part of yourself, but it's temporal, you know, it only lasts for the night <laughs> and then the next day you're back in, in your kind of daily ritual. So there's something really interesting about that that I wanted to explore and also how to bring it into a into the frame of a theatre, I guess, because, you know, how do you create that environment with a seated audience watching or observing a performance? So I was really interested to see how, or if it's possible to encapsulate that space or those spaces in the frame of a, a performance, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I really wanted to connect with different kinds of people that work in that industry. So. Exotic dance was something that was really interesting for me because there's something in that whole club environment that's very sexual and sensual and there's something that's very primitive about this kind of... Um, it's almost like a, a hunting kind of environment, often. Um, so I was interested in working with exotic dancers for, with their kind of performative tools of sensuality and that kind of economy between the audience and the performer. That's that's one kind of subject I was interested in, but not the only one. Also just just kind of the nightclub environment where people go to dance and kind of let loose and I find it really interesting that like people in those or us that experience those environments are not only actors but also I mean they're not only yeah, they're kind of actors and audiences at the same time. Mm. You know, you kind of if you, if you go to a club and you start dancing, you're also watching everybody else at the same time. So it's this kind of really amazing duality of like acting and being an audience um, simultaneously, which I think is really quite amazing, quite mm. a, a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, that was something that I wanted to kind of invest, kind of interrogate or investigate a little deeper um, and look at how that could be a language of dance in a performance. Because there's also that, you know, the voyeur and avoid, yeah. voyeuring, and the, you know, like whole sensuality yeah. and being watched and not watched and yeah, anonymous right. but not anonymous yeah. and all that kind of stuff that happens in those spaces that yeah, you're exactly. talking about. 
and how to do that in a theatre space because, you know, often if you see contemporary dance performance, there's not necessarily a direct gaze, like, an, like the, the performers don't necessarily always engage directly with their gaze to the audience, mm. you know, it's like they're doing a dance for you but not necessarily for you one-on-one, which I think is kind of interesting um, as a mode of performance. So we're looking at those kind of modalities inside the dance. It's an interesting thing too because I think societies need those places yeah. to go. Yeah. And what's happening in Sydney with the lockout laws yeah. and how that's shifting whole communities because they don't have... A place to release. These places, yeah, to release. <laughs> yeah. And I was talking to a, a friend in Sydney and they were talking about, well, I'm not going to church as much and that idea of... That release, that weekly going somewhere to be with peers and to let go. To let go, yeah. And they just don't have have that anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, they can go out, but it's yeah, it's denial. Denial of like that freedom of. Well, I think these kind of ideas of having being able to um, bring out different personal identities in the night is a real sense of freedom in a way. Not that freedom exists, but it is like, you know, a way for people to... Well, you know, it, break, it breaks away so many kind of social rules, I guess, that you have in the daytime. Yeah. <laughs> and everything changes in the night, so you have all these different possibilities of what you can do and what possibilities can happen. And, yeah, it's like a... Yeah, it's a very interesting space. But it's also interesting because it's, sometimes it can be a sense of freedom, but it, and other times it can be some club environments are, are very much they have their they have their own rules as well. Like mm. certain groups stick together, or there's certain social conduct that you you know that you have to abide by to be accepted in certain ways. I know, so it's it's quite complex as well. But and yeah. very gendered as well. Yeah, very gendered. A friend of mine did a yeah. whole heap of research on mm. kind of sexual sexual assault or sexual abuse within right. those yeah. kind of spaces yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, against women and yeah. how unsafe particular night settings could be yeah. or could even just feel even if they weren't. Yeah. We did a we did a we did some excursions out into the night and definitely experienced that. Yeah. We tried to really cross as many um, spaces as we could, so we went to like a really kind of upmarket chic club bar, which was, you know, the clientele was a, a certain type, snow falling from the ceilings, all sorts, all sorts of stuff like that. And then we went to a, a really great kind of dark fetish gay club, and then we went to a gentleman's, a huge gentleman's club, which was really heavy, actually really dark and heavy for us to enter and experience that space. So, yeah, there's so many different um, kind of universes that exist that are all in these buildings that you don't know about until you enter and pay ten bucks to get into <laughs> to experience. It's, really, it's such an interesting space, yeah. It's a good way to put, um, spend a performance budget. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> What's after this work? What's next? What's next? Um, straight after this, I go to Indonesia. Um, I, I'm teaching, well, mentoring at a, um, a dance camp, actually, for a week, which invites uh, a whole lot of young choreographers from Southeast Asia to come and work for a week and do different kind of research labs and workshops. So that's next. 
And then lots of, I, I choreographed a live show for electronic producer Clark, and they're still touring around the world, so I often go and um, kind of travel with them sometimes to make sure it's still running well. <laughs> and yeah, a couple of little research projects here and there before I start back in Sydney for New Breed. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Do you get a holiday? I do, yeah. In September, October, I have like a month off. Oh, very nice. Yes. I'm not sure what I'm doing yet, but yeah. Somewhere Time warm, off. hopefully. And yeah, hopefully. Relaxed. I'm thinking LA, maybe, somewhere crazy, yeah. A bit of night dancing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more, you can find a list of episode notes at delvingintodance.com. On the website, you can donate to help keep the podcast going, shining a light on the diversity of the dance world. On the website, you can find an impressive archive of episodes, including with Meryl Tankard, Lucy Guerin, and Raphael Bononcella. You can follow on Twitter at Delving Dance. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Delving Into Dance. You can subscribe on many of the podcast platforms. And last but not least, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Help get the word out. Stay tuned for future episodes, including with Samantha Hines, Gareth Chambers, and Joshua Peffer. Until next time, take care.